0: last year when I was a, what we called a co-teacher at my school, where we had so many students in the room, but the majority of my students were at home, and um, I'm really hoping that all you guys at home watching the, ser- uh, watching the sermon and singing are better participants than my students were last year as at-home learners. That was not the best experience, but we're doing what we can, and I'm so glad to be here to talk about Love Love Neighbor. We shouldn't have a favorite core practice, but I think Love Neighbor is mine, maybe because I think God has just put it in my heart. Um, It's something that I, it's just a work in my heart. I'm not saying I'm the best at it. In fact, there's nothing like knowing you're going to have a message on Loving Neighbor to just get all those little convictions in your heart as you go throughout life realizing how hard it is in the moment for lots of reasons. Um, So our first core practice was to follow Jesus. Our second core practice is to love neighbor. And so what does that mean? So in words, our core practice is, we commit to love others as ourselves regardless of race, background, ethnicity, orientation, or status. And so already, if you've been around a long time, Or if you're just new in the circle of the neighborhood church, um, there might be a word or two in there that is jumping out at you. And I want you to pay attention to that. I think that as we're, especially after times of worship, and thank you so much, Adam and worship team, for leading us through those songs. That was awesome. I think that God puts us in a state where the Holy Spirit's moving around us. And so I really want to encourage you, church, here and at home, to pay attention to those things that stick out at you. That could be the Holy Spirit really trying to give you a truth today that you might not have known before. And so if you haven't listened to Adam's message on following Jesus, highly recommend. It's great, but it really is tied to what I'm going to speak about today. There is no loving others. like There is no meaning or depth without the following Jesus. The world has an idea of what loving others is, and there's definitely a a lot of overlap about what we're going to talk about as a church, but where do we take our lead as to what it looks like to love others? Who are these others? Um, How do we do it? To what extent? What's the expectation? How do I know if I'm doing a good job? How do we know that? Well, we look to Jesus, and so that's why follow Jesus really is our first core practice. Um, uh, Dallas Willard, if you don't know who he is, um, really he's influenced a lot of Adams, like you've heard Dallas Willard, even if you've never heard the name, because a lot of his words kind of have seeped into the culture of this church, um, and he kind of says that these are really just one, uh, it's the greatest commandment, love God and love others, and that they're so tied together, you really can't disconnect the two. That they're that they're just basically married, and so um, again, recommend that you can go back, you can listen to previous sermons anytime you want. Um, and we do this every year, not because there's so many people we think have never heard these things before. It's because this is what our church is all about. Um, It's not about saying you've got to believe this, this, and this, and this to be part of our club, the way we worship God. It's really about what does it mean for this group of people to follow God in his mission, for us to join him on his mission right here in our own neighborhood, hence the name, the Neighborhood Church. So these core practices really give us a good guidance um, to do that. And so loving others... I mean, think about it. This is not an audience, this is a rhetorical question. But think about the whole idea of loving someone else as you love yourself. How many other times do you hear that just in the world, or how old is that? It's older than Jesus walking the earth. The Jewish people had verses If you, I'm not going to get into this right now, but if you go and you look up Leviticus 19, you know, good old the book of Leviticus with all those laws. There's a whole thing in there about loving others. At the time, we're going to get into a a New Testament passage, but at the time, people had heard about this just as much as we've probably heard about it today. And so the idea of loving others isn't new. So what does it mean? Okay, so we have so many of these questions. Before I get into how Jesus actually taught the people um, what it means to love others, um, I'm going to share with you guys, I mean, everybody in this room, I believe, knows this, but the people at home may not know that by day, I am a high school math teacher. You know, you got to love me or hate me. People, that's the, one of the things I always tell people when I t- say my job. They're like, they almost always go, I loved my high school math teacher, or I hated high school math. And I'm like, thank you. I don't know how to respond to that. Um, it's kind of a weird thing for people. First thing when you tell them your job is that I hated people like you. So, like, I don't know. Um, So it's just interesting. Um, You should try it. I mean, I'm not really encouraging you to lie. Maybe you can just join me when I meet one of your friends, and you can see what they say. It's almost always one of the two. And um, I have learned throughout my teaching career, I've been teaching almost 20 years, and specifically in math, but I think this really goes to any... um, any discipline, especially when you get into kids at in high school and college age where you're not really learning facts as much as you are how to analyze, connect, solve complex problems. Um, but the way you do that isn't by just telling people what to do. It's by asking questions, asking the right question at the right time. This is my whole model of teaching. And if you ever want to have like a three-hour brunch with me, I can tell you my whole philosophy on teaching math And I promise you will find it so interesting. You don't think you will, but you really will. And there's a specific type of uh, model that I follow. It's called inquiry-based learning. And that's not a math-specific thing. But it basically is an idea that you start with questions, you give resources, you give guide, and then as the learner starts to be able to answer their own question, you keep on asking questions. So this is really interesting if you're the teacher. I gotta tell you that not all high school students love this. I mean, if you think about it, think about when you were in school, if you were solving a math problem, and you're like, how do I solve for X here? And my response to you instead of do this is, well, what do you know? Where are you trying to go? What's your goal here? But we know based off research that that is how the vast majority of people learn best, especially when you're talking about more complicated things. So I'm learning about all this throughout my teaching career And then a few years ago, Adam, we went through a whole thing about all the questions that Jesus asked in the Bible, and it was all about asking better questions. It was a J.R. Briggs thing. It was a class that some of us could take. Um, This was a few years ago. And I'm like, this is my whole teaching philosophy. You know, I knew that my professors and the people I learned from didn't make it up, but I had never really connected before that Jesus, before that time, really, that Jesus was like inquiry-based learning model. Um, And that's because he was very wise. So if you've never really thought about it, anytime you're reading the Bible, the New Testament, you know, all the red letters where Jesus is talking, I want you to listen to how often Jesus asks a question. Specifically, even when people are asking him a question, and instead of directly answering it, he asks them a question back. And I'm sure it was as frustrating for the people then as it is for my own students now. Um, but he knew that that really was going to leave a lasting impact, not just for those people at that time, but for the people listening. You know, if, um, if Adam asked me a question and I just give him a very direct answer that I know will fit him in his specific circumstance right now, that's great. But if he asks a question and I lead him to this better understanding, it can carry on a knowledge and a wisdom that grows. In particular, now that we have the Holy Spirit, we can go back to stories like the Good Samaritan. That's what we're going to look at in a moment. And we can just glean all these little gems from the same passage, the same questions. And so as I read through um, the parable of the Good Samaritan, really going to encourage y'all to pay attention to the questions, pay attention to your own imagination. You know, um, if you're you're at home or you've never done this before, it may seem weird at first to just let your imagination run wild when you're listening to a Bible story, but I really want to encourage you to do that on this one. You can pretend you're one of the people in the story. You can be an onlooker. You could think, if I was a news reporter, how would I report this story back to, you know, what a, the article that I'm going to write? You could think of it. You can imagine them dressed in robes and sandals like they probably were that time. Or you can think, what would this kind of look like today? And so God gave us an imagination. So I'm going to encourage you to use it as I read through um, Luke chapter 10. Um, so you'll see there is a slide for this, so we're going to read out of Luke. This parable is in other books, um, and so you could always go back, you know, homework, and read the other versions if you'd like. They all have um, some differences, but the main ideas are the same. All right. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's our core practice. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Look after them, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. So the man had asked, who is my neighbor? He's not really inquiring about the fact that he should love neighbor because he knows he should love neighbor. That was something he would have already studied before this point. He, it, you know, sometimes they're trying to, like, get Jesus. They're trying to get Jesus in a gotcha moment. Like, what are you going to say? You're going to say something that's going to make the experts of the law mad, and then we're going to be able to say that you don't really know what you're talking about. And sometimes they're just actually really curious. Um, but who is my neighbor? That was his main question. Um, who is my neighbor? The follow-up question that's not really being asked here, but probably should have been, is how should I love them? And that word, how, could be interpreted a couple different ways. How, like, in what way? Like, what does it actually look like to love someone? But also how, as in what, in what manner? What should be my motivation to love them? And so we'll come back to these questions. So, um... So according to Jesus, who is my neighbor, according to this story, Jesus is, the man is answering, the one, the person who was neighborly was the one who showed mercy, and it was shocking to them. If you don't know a lot about Samaritans, um, at the time when Jesus brought up the idea of a priest, they're like, oh, yeah, priests, good guys. Levites, oh, yeah, good guys. Samaritans, eh, uh. I know we're like distantly related to them, like way back when, but they're just kind of like not true Jewish people, and um, certainly the Samaritan would be the worst guy of the story, and um, they would have been thought of, you know, like maybe if someone said, who did you think was a Samaritan in the story? They might have thought that the robbers were maybe even Samaritans. We don't know that, but that's kind of like how biased and the stereotype for that time. And so when Jesus basically puts the hero of the story as the person that all these people would have had such a strong prejudice against, it would have really shocked them. Um, A few months ago, I don't know if it was a few months ago, it seemed like that, but I spoke about the woman at the well, and I talked at that time, too, about the idea of a Samaritan and what people thought, Um, and... I would encourage you, if you're curious about that, to go do some research. There's a lot of research out there about the idea of like, why the Jewish people hated the Samaritans so much. Um, But we can understand how one people group is biased against another people group. We have seen it throughout history, we see it today. So that's something that we do understand. Um, So, who are our neighbors? You know, we're bringing ourselves into today. Who are our neighbors? Or am I being a neighbor? Um, And I'm not going to answer these questions. These are questions that I'm going to leave for you to think about because it's going to change. What it looks like today, right now, in a pandemic where it's like things are changing weekly, looks different than a couple years ago or maybe even a couple years from now. And it looks different whether you're living with a bunch of people, or if you're living alone, or if you have a job where you interact with a bunch of people, um, I can say for the kids that maybe need a little bit more, um, I'm going to ask the kids in here a question, and I would love for you all to answer me out loud. Um, I know when you think of neighbor, you're thinking people that live next door to you, but I want to kind of broaden your idea of a neighbor. Neighbor are people that are close to you, people that you come in contact with and maybe people that even know you really well. So who are the people that you consider maybe your closest neighbors in your life right now? You can answer out loud, just the kids. Who are the closest people to you in your life right now? You can get help from your parents. Classmates, what else? Yeah, your siblings. Ooh, that's a tough one. Family. I know my brother and I, we were like best friends one day, and then the next day we're like Mortal Kombat. Um, For kids, that's like old video game. Anyway, it meant we were in a lot of fights. So um, that's a hard thing to think about. Maybe our brothers and our sisters being neighbors, um, when times are good, it's great. But when times are bad, it's like you get on each other's nerves. Your parents are your neighbors, And parents, your kids are your neighbors, Um, roommates, people you work with. Obviously, these are people we come in contact with a lot, and we can broaden out this idea of a neighbor. In the story of a Good Samaritan, the person who was neighborly, they were strangers before that day. Um, And the idea that I can be a neighbor to someone and they can be a neighbor to me is wonderful. I mean, this is where we get our name, the Neighborhood Church. It's not just because we're, like, in this literal block neighborhood, okay, or even in the neighborhood of Garland. A lot of us live in other cities. It's the idea that we're here to love our neighbors, and so these are really important questions for us at our church to tackle with, I think, um, and that's going to change as time goes on, Um You can't be the absolute best neighbor to every single person in this world. And so when we're thinking about who is our neighbor, it may be like, who is the neighbor that needs love right now, that nobody else is being neighborly towards? It could be a kid at school. Adults, I will let you answer that question because I think that you can. And I think that God can lead you to answer that question really specific for your own life. The follow-up question is, how do I love them? Okay, so this gets to the best part of the Good Samaritan story that, you know, I've heard lots of sermons about the Good Samaritan, and I talked about Loving Neighbor last year. I don't know if y'all remember when we went through this. Um, And I've had this talk for a long time. I've read this when I was a kid. Um, I want to highlight real quickly, like, the steps that this specific um, Good Samaritan I'm even going to just flat out call him the Good Samaritan, went through and how he loved, how he was a neighbor, and how he loved this man that was beat up by robbers. The first thing was he paid attention. Now, that's kind of a big deal for us today. In the story, the priest and the Levite also paid attention. Um, It says that they saw him. So that wasn't a problem for them. But how hard is it to pay attention today? If we're driving down the street, would I even notice if someone was by the side of the road and they had been beaten up by robbers? It's a sad state to say that I might not even notice um, if I'm not actively trying to pay attention. We got to see them as people. At that time, one of the reasons that the priest and the Levite didn't help the man is because they might have thought he was dead, And touching a dead body at that time would have made them unclean. And so they could have just said, this guy's practically dead or he's already dead. I can't help him anyway. Um, Then you bring into the fact that the Samaritan came on. Like, what if the priest had been like, well, what if that guy is a Samaritan or worse? What if he's like a complete godless pagan? Um, We know throughout even our own history that not everybody views all human beings as human. Um, But as followers of Christ, as followers of Jesus, that is not even like on the table for us to entertain. Um, And we know that. We would never say that. But it's in our actions on how we treat people as actual human beings. Showing mercy. When you show mercy to someone... Why is it that you can actually show mercy to them? I will actually answer this question. It's generally because you have power. You have something that they don't have. It could be power. It could be money. It could just be circumstance. It could be a community. Someone who's lonely, they have no community. I'm rich in community, and I count myself as so blessed that I have so many people in my life that are there for me when I need them, and I'm rich in community. So showing mercy to someone, that could look like sharing my community. The Samaritan then met the need. The need for the man was just to help him not die, get him off that road. Um, and that was a scary thing. Those robbers could have been nearby. This was a very dangerous Road. And I know I'm not going into a lot of that because I think a lot of people have heard this story before, and that's what's usually emphasized. Um, he brought the outsider in. Notice that he took him to an inn. And he used his power and resources to help him. I'm not going to get into the whole, like, how much money is two denarii worth in today's money because it doesn't really matter, all right? He gave money to a complete stranger. He left it with an innkeeper. Although this is an interesting thing to note, that only this week I kind of was like, ooh, God, you're like showing me something here. Because I think sometimes when we're loving neighbors, we think we got to do everything for that person. And the Samaritan left him. He let somebody else. Like he tagged out, and he said, innkeeper, you're tagged in. And he did pay him. Um, But there was an amount of trust there. And I think sometimes we think, I got to do this all on my own. And the Samaritan is showing us here that it's okay to tag out and let somebody take over. He had things he had to do. He might have had his own family he had to deal with. You know, there's more about the story we don't know than what we do know. But we know that he left him for a while and then he came back. There was a cost, it wasn't just the money. What else was the cost? time, his own safety, maybe his reputation. I mean, if I'm a Samaritan and I know that overall this group of people like basically think of me as less than human and I help them, some of my own people may decide that I'm a betrayal to my own people. And that's, that's like something we can kind of relate to again today. Like, who we associate with can really ruin our reputation. Um, and it's about, and, and that is something. That's a real thing. So he embraced that cost. Um, by embrace, I mean, he didn't love it. He wasn't happy about it, but he did what he needed to do. And so when we're thinking about who is my neighbor, how should I love them? In what way did he, was this guy neighbor, the Samaritan? In what way did he do it? He went pretty much all out. I'm thinking, when I really think about this, wow, this is such a tall order. How on earth am I expected to do this? Like, it sounds good in theory, but in reality, if I'm dry, I live in East Dallas, and there are lots of people that have signs that need help. And I do a lot of things to help these people, but stopping on the side of the road And getting them into my car is not something I'm typically doing. Um, And we've talked a lot in our community about what it looks like in reality today to love neighbor. Um, So it's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to start feeling shame. It's easy to feel like a lot of guilt and you're like, is this real guilt or is this just false guilt? Um, could I do more? But if I do more, I would be like abandoning my own family or not showing up for work. There's so much here. So I want everybody to kind of just take a breath and remember that it's not up to us to solve all the world's problems. Um, we wouldn't do it even if, we, even if we all went out of here today and said to solve all the world's problems. We wouldn't even be able to do it. That's not what God is calling us to do. Um, so earlier, at the beginning, I asked you to use your imagination, and I don't know where that took. I hope that you did it, and I would love to hear stories if you're like, my mind went here. I'd lo- I want to know all of that, because I think that stuff is so interesting, how the Holy Spirit works with people's imaginations, and when they really put themselves in the story. So now we kind of shift to, God, what are you calling me to do? Um, the really good thing that I always go back to when it comes to love is that love is a fruit of the Spirit. Love is not something you just have or you don't. And all love comes from God. And God has infinite amounts of love. And we can tap into that. So it's not a matter of me just mustering up enough love. Um, and it is a fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I'm so thankful I get to live on this side of history where I have access to the Holy Spirit. I'm sure these people listening to Jesus at that time were thinking all sorts of interesting things, but um, they didn't even have an idea of what was to come later. A lot of them probably lived long enough to see that happen, or maybe they were there, or maybe they had traveled away by that time. But I just... I'm so glad that I get to rely on the Holy Spirit to say, what are you calling me to do right now? Um, I do want to point out that even in the early church, they actually really struggled with this. So uh, there's several verses I could have pulled from um, where they talk about, you know, in the letters of Paul and different apostles, where they kind of, some of them are like encouraging and some of them are like, hey, You guys are kind of straying from what Jesus said, and some of them are downright like, whoa, y'all are in deep water here. We need to go back to the basics. And so in Galatians 5, and you'll see it up here on the screen, I'm going to go ahead and read that. So in Galatians 5, verse 13, uh, this part is titled Life by the Spirit, okay? Okay says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping the one command, love your neighbor as yourself. They struggled the same way we do today. What's the right thing to do? What am I supposed to do in this exact situation? And Jesus didn't give us a verse for every single thing that could ever go wrong. And to be honest, even if he had for those people, we'd still have all these things today. Social media, I'll just take that one. There was no, there would have never been a verse about social media. Um, We've got to take these parables, these questions, take this untapped, sometimes um, Holy Spirit, and say, what does this mean for me right now? And the entire law, there's a lot of laws, by the way. If You ever gone back and looked at all the Old Testament laws in Leviticus, there are a lot of laws. And they're all fulfilled in keeping the one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's kind of like our guidepost. That's our light. That's where we're going. That's our true north. Like when we're not really sure with our decision, we're reaching out to the Holy Spirit and we're thinking, loving my neighbor as myself. And if you need to hear this, Before I get to the next part, somebody probably needs to hear this because I'm kind of feeling it myself. The idea of loving your neighbor as yourself implies that you should love yourself, that you don't need to hate yourself in order to love others. This means that while you may give up some of your power, money, time, even safety, you are not constantly hating and doing things bad for yourself in order to lift someone up. This is why we have a community, because sometimes it's not you that's going to be doing the one that's giving the thing. Maybe you're seeing the need, and then you tag out like the Good Samaritan did, and someone tags in, and they're able to meet that need without it tearing them apart like it would for you. And that's a hard thing to kind of get through. Um, I think the only way to really understand that a lot more is just to be in close community with other Christians and talk about this. Um, But if you needed to hear that you should love yourself, that this is implying that, I want you to hear it. You should, because God loves you more than you will ever know. And when he's saying love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying, wow, this crazy love don't take from you. You don't have to take from you to give to someone else. So now for the fun part. It says, <laughs> if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I want to give you just a moment to like think of something like modern day. There are so many examples that makes you think of when you, when you hear that, that verse. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you're going to be destroyed. Just raise your hand if anything comes to mind. You don't have to say it out loud. So many things come to my mind. We're seeing it now. It's been something throughout history. So I want to ask you a question. And then I'm going to share with you a story and a couple of quotes. And so here's my big question. Would, do people today associate the church, the Christian church, with loving neighbor? If you ask people, some Christians, some not, how would you describe the current Christian church or current Christians in general? Not necessarily you, or even if we could go get personal and say our church, how high on the list would it be loving others? it would definitely depend upon who you ask. But not everybody would say the church is great. The church is getting an A plus at loving others. Okay? Uh, I don't know what the score would be. It would not be A um, <laughs> And it would probably change whether or not where you were at in the world or the country and who you asked. So, kids... Kids, this is a question for the kids, although if nobody answers, I'm going to let adults chime in. What do we celebrate on Monday? Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so I want to share with you um, a quote. And Martin Luther King Jr. has so many good quotes, and, um, and I love quotes because it's just kind of like, You know, it's not, it doesn't take the place of scripture. It's not above scripture. But sometimes, like, God just gives people the right words at the right time sometimes. And it's just like a really good song. A really good quote to me is like a really good song. It just hits me right here and it helps me go, ooh, yeah. And so this is from his 1963 book, Strength to Love. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. The true neighbor will risk his position, his prestige, and even his life for the welfare of others. I mean, there's no question where he got that from. He was a pastor, um, and so he was probably very familiar with the, story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, And I think for, in the 1960s, African Americans, I think this idea of the the problems between the Samaritans and the Jewish people probably meant something very different to him and his family and his church than it means to me today. Um, And I can only strive to understand that. I want to understand that. But we have to recognize that. He wrote this at a time, but these words are still so meaningful today for everybody who's reading them. I want to tell you a story about a kid from The Rock this summer. And um, Adam was there. He can he can testify to this story in a minute. Um, if you're just like, hey, did that really happen? Adam will be like, it happened, I was there. <laughs> um, we had a rockin' summer, and the theme was basically give a little kindness away, be kind. It was basically love neighbor. Um and we really emphasized the whole how to be kind. We really put it, like, down on their level, like, very practical for kids. I didn't make it all inquiry-based learning. I did try to ask some really cool questions for the older kids. And one of the first questions I asked on the very first day of the week with the older kids that were, like, junior high, even early high school age was, what is a Samaritan? Have you ever heard of a Samaritan? I just wanted to know. Like, I didn't know if these kids had ever been in church before or if they had ever heard the story. I just wanted to know what I was dealing with, because I didn't know any of these kids at all. And this one kid just straight up goes, yeah, a Samaritan is someone who's good and helps people. The good Samaritan. He kind of looked at me like, you don't know this? You know? And I thought, wow, Adam and I kind of gave each other a look like, yeah, you're right. Um, Because that is what someone who is only on this side of the parable of the Good Samaritan had never really studied the background and the strife with the different peoples, and they have always heard good in front of Samaritan. Jesus took an extremely problematic racial and all sorts of problems at that time And he just changed that word for a long time. Now, I don't think that everybody, if I said, who's a Samaritan, they would say, they're a person that helps people. But I actually think a lot of people would say that, all right? And this has really stuck with me to this day, that that kid said that, because I'm like, wow, Jesus did that. That is power right there, for you to change something so crazy in history. They didn't rewrite history, but... He changed the meaning of the word. So I think, wow. What if we lived in such a way that if people heard the term Christian, at least maybe the neighborhood church, I mean, we can't, you know, we're just a small part of this body, but we, the neighborhood church is part of the body of Christ. We're not apart from it. What if we in our church, and even all Christians, lived in such a way that if we asked other people, where would you rate, like, what do you think of when you hear Christians? What are they, what are they known for? Loving others? What rating would you give them? That it totally changed where we're at today. And I think that that's a worthy thing to strive for, not for our own reputation. I want y'all to hear me, church. Not so that we feel good and go, yeah, I'm on the right side. I'm doing the right thing, whereas those other people, they weren't really messing up. That's so easy to do. I'm talking about our namesake, Christians. We are named after Christ for his glory, for his reputation. I hate that the term Christian has such a bad rap now for Jesus' sake. Um But there is power to change that name. He did it. It can happen again. So here are some questions. And um, so if we think about how is this going to play out for our church, here are some questions, and I really want to encourage you to discuss these questions in your neighborhood groups. So which of my neighbors am I being led to love? Like right now, this week. It could be... Just who's in your immediate vicinity. It could be who is not getting in love from anyone else. Who has a need that you can meet right now this week? How do I love these neighbors? So again, that word how kind of has a couple of different um, interpretations. In what ways? Literally like what would you do? And in what manner? Like, what would it look like? What would be your motivation? Um, What would be in your heart, so to speak? And like I said a minute ago, what if we loved in such a way that the term Christian became synonymous with loving, specifically loving neighbors and extending that to loving even enemies? So I would challenge you that if something's, like, really getting at you right now, not to push it away and not to be like, I'll remember this tomorrow, Because easily you won't, most of the time. All right? God speaks sometimes in a whisper. And if we don't pay attention to it, it just floats away like the rest of the stuff. So I would encourage you to write down, send a text to someone you're close to, and say, let's talk about this later. I would encourage you to do that right now. Lean into it. And if nothing is, if literally nothing is coming to mind, if you're like, I think I'm actually doing a pretty good job with this, then share with us. But also, think about, be a Samaritan. Keep your eyes open. Something may happen this week. And um, because of something God spoke to you tonight, you might do something differently. You might make a different choice than you would have otherwise. And I, again, I would love to hear those stories. So we'll take that at the end in a minute. So I'm going to close this out in prayer here in just a moment, um, and the prayer is going to start with an end of a quote by someone named Dorothy Day, and um, Adam kind of mentioned her name to me, and there are so many quotes, I was like, oh my gosh, there's like, so, like, I got to get into this, I got to do a lot more reading, I have my own homework now, um, she was a Catholic layperson, so she wasn't a nun, but, um, and I've heard of her name before, but. She was around, like, in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, think about Great Depression, World War II. And she was thinking, how are we going to love people? Specifically, love the poor. I mean, again, think about those 30s, 40s, 50s. There were people that were very, very poor, could not eat. And she, did a, she was kind of like a social justice warrior for her time. And, again, I'm not ever placing any quote above Scripture, But um, I'm going to go ahead and read the first part of the quote, and then I'm going to pray this prayer, and then we'll do communion. So if you have not yet grabbed a communion packet, or if you're at home, if you want to grab some bread, some juice, or wine, please do that. So the first part of this quote says, What we would like to do is change the world, make it a little simpler for people to feed, clothe, and shelter themselves as God intended them to do. And by fighting for better conditions by crying out unceasingly for the rights of the workers, the poor and the destitute, the rights of the worthy and the unworthy poor. In other words, we can, to a certain extent, change the world. We can work for the oasis, the little cell of joy and peace in a harried world. We can throw our pebble in the pond and be confident that its ever-widening circle will reach around the world. Small things lead to big changes, in other words. And then we repeat, there is nothing we can do but love. And our prayer is, dear God, please enlarge our hearts to love each other, to love our neighbor, and to love our enemy as our friend. So, Lord, let these words just seep into our heart. Let us be transformed by the way that you've loved us. Let us learn how to love our neighbors as Jesus taught us in words and his actions. And let us work as a community to be able to tell the stories Tell the stories and help each other. Love each other. Love those that are close to us. Love those in our neighborhood and even love our enemies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.